Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortuneswheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information. As you know, each week we have at least one giveaway. Last week, we had four. Thanks to Harahel the Library Angel who, as I'm sure you recall, is associated with the seven of discs or pentacles. Our four winners are Amanda, Sarah, Michael, and Marina. Congratulations to you all. May each of you receive the book you need most right now. For this week's giveaway, our winner will receive a little something from each of us. And when I say little, I mean little. The eight of pentacles or discs is associated with Virgo, the sign of small things. And it's a commonly known fact that Virgos like to put things away. Most Virgos anyway, I'm speaking generally here. <laughs> boxes within boxes, bags within bags, everything in its place. Anyway, one lucky listener this week will receive a mini deck from Mel and a mini case to house the mini deck from me. You can sign up as a patron and find out more about the drawing at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortunes Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortunes Wheelhouse group where even now hundreds of listeners like you are sharing their love of esoteric tarot. You too could be one of them. Remember, you can always check in with me and Mel at our individual websites. I'm at www.tsusanchang.com. That's T as in tarot, susanchang.com, which is where you can check out my blog posts, my online class, my book, and lots more. My Etsy shop is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. Mel's blog is at www.tabulamundi.com, and you can order her products at tarocart.com. And we each have newsletters where you can sign up to hear about anything new that's happening in our worlds. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, would you please leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? You can do it that way too. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode.
Welcome to the Eight of Pentacles or Discs. Uh, Take two. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Even though Mercury's no longer in retrograde, we lost our first six minutes of recording and we're starting over again. Let's see. I am partial to this card because it is the decan of my own natal sun at three degrees of Virgo. And Mel actually has Jupiter in this uh, decan five, as well. Five degrees. And as, as well as planets in, you've got planets. Outer planets in Virgo in too. Virgo too. <laughs> yeah. And I've got Mercury in Virgo. So we're we're kind of all Virgo all the time when we're not being all Aquarius and Sagittarius all the time. <laughs> this is known as the Lord of Prudence. And that's a really interesting title because, uh, well, we were talking about what the modern definition of prudence right was as being kind of careful and cautious and wise discerning that sort of uh attitude of being a little nervous and restrained about things uh and not jumping into them and that's kind of a leftover from the ancient idea of prudence which was actually one of the four cardinal virtues which i think we've talked about in the major arcana probably and maybe even at the beginning of the discs series. The four cardinal virtues which you find in the major arcana are temperance, justice, and fortitude or strength, which of course is the strength or lust card. And then the fourth one is prudence. And, you know, the question is always, where is the prudence card in the major arcana? And we tend to locate it in the world or universe card. You know what's cool about that too mm -hmm. is um in the Thoth version of the universe card and even hinted at in the other, you know, like the Rider Waite version of the universe card, the universe maiden is seen with a serpent or a spiral force. Yeah. And um, I have a, an older, I, I should go get it and see what the name of it is. Hold on. The deck. <laughs> and it has a prudence card in it and it has a woman stepping on a serpent. Oh, yes. To see this, it's got a, it's got a prudence card and the woman is kind of picking up her skirts oh, and to step on this cool. snake and she's carrying a caduceus of mercury. She sure so is. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, so this is the Atea Tarot. And yeah. is it, um, so it reminds me of the universe card because in the Thoth card, she's with a serpent. Mm -hmm. Um, and even in Rider Waite Smith, there's that, um, cloth around her that kind of has that suggestion of a serpentine yeah. spiral form. Yeah. Um, there's definitely something about prudence and the serpent and the approach to the serpent, you know, the sort of attitude towards the serpent. And, you know, I think that makes sense, not only as sort of like serpents are worthy of fear and respect, but also the analog of the serpent as kind of your own drives and passions and the control or ability to regulate them. There are those four cardinal virtues, and prudence is considered separate and different, because whereas the first three cardinal virtues, temperance, fortitude, and justice, are actions that you can take in the world, things that you can do, Prudence doesn't. Prudence kind of oversees. It's kind of considered the quote unquote mother of the other virtues because you need prudence to exercise good judgment. And not just over these four virtues, but over the more generally over the seven virtues. The other three are the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. So prudence is that discernment that allows you to make best use of the others. So I always think that this card, the Lord of Prudence, despite looking kind of, you know, very straightforward on the surface of it has a whole lot more going on. Speaking of Prudence and the world or universe card, we always try at the beginning 
of a sign to talk about its connection to the elemental major, the world or universe card in this case, which we use both to represent Saturn and to represent elemental Earth. That card encapsulates the story of the return to the divine or the journey of the maiden, which seems particularly apt in the case of the Virgo cards. Yeah. Because she is, in fact, the maiden who is seeking uh, reunification with the divine. You know, she can represent the the journey of the daughter towards the mother, the journey of the daughter to meet her bridegroom, the journey of the soul to meet the Holy Spirit, the journey of the anima mundi to ascend or descend, as the case may be, because yeah. both those stories are in there. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a way, different ways of looking at it. In the Capricorn cards, we talked about the material world, uh, the ambition and building that goes on in the material world. In the Taurus cards, we talked about bridging between the worlds and kind of alchemical and spiritual concepts of sex. <laughs> and then in the Virgo cards, we talk about leaving all of that behind and what legacies we pass on as we leave this world, as we die, as we complete our missions and our purposes on Earth. And that is why in the sort of sequence of minors that we've done, the uh, Virgo cards come last, although they're not last in the astrological year or anything. They are last in the sequence of minor if you go from fire to water to air to Earth. They kind of could be considered last in in the northern hemisphere of the harvest, you know, the harvest sequence. For sure, for sure. And also, like, if you look at an astrological wheel, it's the sixth house. It's the end of the, it's the death of the self, mm. you know, after its sort of culmination in Leo, before you meet the other in Libra mm -hmm. and go through that side, the public face or the outward facing half of the wheel. I think the sixth house is a really good reminder about the nature of Virgo, because when you think of the sixth house, you think of things like employment and work and service. And that's a big part of what Virgo is all about. And health. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, because it's like the emphasis on the small things, you know, in the way that Mercury does. So Mercury and Jupiter are kind of opposite each other in terms of, you know, the Gemini is opposite to Sagittarius, Virgo is opposite to Pisces. It's sort of small picture versus big picture. And Virgo's the one who's like going through the fields, gleaning all the little stuff and, you know, closing up shop and finishing things and looking for every tiny Winnowing last the wheat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Although, you know, where we are, it's a little, it's a little bit later when that happens, but it's, that's the concept behind it. Something else that's kind of interesting about Virgo is that in some systems, it's considered double-bodied. So all of the mutable signs, which are on the hinges, uh, solstices and equinoxes, are kind of doubles, like Gemini, twins, two bodies of twins. Sagittarius is half man, half centaur, and of course, Pisces is two fishes. But Virgo, Virgo uh, is said to be half maiden and half bird. So if you sometimes see uh, images of yeah, Virgo, you wings. see the wings. I've seen, right. I've seen winged Virgos, yeah. Winged Virgos, winged virgins. And that is an image that we see through, throughout a lot of the mythology of the maiden, which we will, we will get into later. Just I've also seen something that I always really liked. The Sphinx is said to be a combination of Leo and Virgo. Oh, that so makes the, so the, much the sense. The woman and the lion combined into one being because, you know, they follow each other in the zodiac. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Hmm. Yeah, because she's got that body of the line yep. and the uh yeah, and the head of the beautiful but very, very dangerous woman. And sometimes wings as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense, the idea of the wings, partly because of the connection with Mercury, who has got the winged helmet, the winged feet, but also these ideas that are tied up in all these myths of the maiden of ascent and descent, of, you know, having to go upwards and downwards. It's never sort of like east, west, traveling towards the sun or away from the sun. It's always up and down. So for that, you have to have wings. There are two signs, of course, ruled by Mercury. The other one is Gemini. And the difference between Gemini and Virgo, one way to think about it is that the Gemini obviously is air and uh, Virgo is earth. Right. So, so one's very much heavier and yeah. one's very much lighter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think I was listening to Chris and Austin and Kelly going through all of all of the signs. And they talked about Gemini as much more theoretical and Virgo is much more applied. Gemini is like the torrent of words. And in Virgo, they get edited and paired back and just designed to, and to a purpose. They're almost opposites in a way in that Gemini, you know, is about the other, the twins, the, you know, the lovers, mm -hmm. the, the connection where the hermit is all going off on his own. Ah, lovers you know? versus hermit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, fascinating. Um, so one other thing I saw about uh, the type of figures that are associated mythologically with Virgo, uh, I forget where I read this, but uh, there are three kinds. There's harvest mothers, because, you know, it's yep. a series Demeter kind of yep. thing. Yep. And there's ladies of justice. <laughs> yep. And then there's Persephone figures. Exactly. Proserpina, virgins. Yep. Yeah. Maidens. And it's so interesting. And then I've seen Mary. Oh, yes. As associated yes, yes, with. Yes. So the virgin mother. Yep. There's like that paradox. Yep. And then we have the justice goddesses. Like you said, Estrella was one of them that mm -hmm. I saw. And uh, Ishtar. Uh, yeah. And then a really interesting, the Greeks associated Virgo with Erigone, who was a maiden who hanged herself <laughs> from distress at the ways of the human race. And uh, yeah. having some Virgo and knowing some Virgos and how particular they are and how easily they get frustrated with how not particular others are. That's I can, right. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's something, applying. there's something that Austin says in 36 Faces when I first read it. Cause of course you go and you look up your sun sign first thing and it yeah. says, you know, that people are constantly violating the subtle rules that these natives comprehend. Yeah. And my secret to, coping in this world is that I severely underestimate people always, you know, yeah. I never expect anything. So you won't be disappointed. <laughs> <I'm never> disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting that there's both the mother and the virgin associated with this. And that makes you think of that story of the return of the daughter to become the mother. Yeah. It's sort of like all tied into these, yep. these myths of um, maturity. And one of the things I like about, uh, when I was reading about the constellation Virgo is this idea of, so the alpha star of Virgo is Spica or Spica. The and ear it's of corn. The, yeah, the ear of grain. And, um, it represents gifts to humanity and knowledge of cultivation, things like that, which seems really Virgo. Yeah. Virgoin. And then what was really beautiful is that the Milky Way was formed by these ears of grains dropping from the goddess's hand. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I isn't that beautiful? That. That's beautiful. <laughs> Well, and also the fact that it's only visible for six months of the year. So, you know, I mean, I guess that's fairly typical, but that also ties into that Demeter-Persephone myth yep. and the idea that 
you know, the mother has to go to, to search everywhere to find the daughter. You know, there's sort of a, a beautiful kind of, um, negotiation of fertility and barrenness and visibility and invisibility there, which um, I really love. Oh, and speaking of, you know, we were talking about Virgo as the maiden. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's kind of funny that, you know, it's usually the virgin in, in Arabic, it was the innocent maiden, but in uh, Chinese, it was the frigid maiden. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think it's um, kind of cool, like, the word maiden and virginity, the word virgin doesn't have the same meaning in all cases as it does today. Like it used to have the meaning of a woman who owned her own body and was free to give her love to anyone of her choosing. She was the, yeah. the master of herself. And rather than being chased, it was a woman who was in control of herself and gave her love to whoever she chose. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that you can see themes like that reflected in the cards associated, like the the Nine of Pentacles, for example, yeah. very much has that feeling in the same way that the Queen of Swords has that feeling of the ladies of justice aspect of yeah. Virgo. Yep. You know, you can kind of see facets reflected here and there. And there's also the idea of Virgin as being new. So like the idea that you take the grain, but there's many, many more steps, digestion, you know, to get to something you can eat. Yep. It has to be processed and broken down and turned into flour and, you know, and then turned into bread. And that's a long process. Um, And also that's that sort of breaking down of things into many, many, many little steps. Smaller and smaller parts. (laughs) That's Virgo to a T. Yeah. So we're going to see those stories of refinement and perfectionism and kind of technical proficiency, as well as the downsides of that playing out in these cards. That's Virgo in a nutshell. So astrologically, we're talking about sun in Virgo. Of course, Uh, this is one of the five sun cards in the minor arcana. That means that we go through sun in Virgo, eight of discs, prudence, that's where we are. Uh, then we're going to hit sun in Scorpio, six of cups, pleasure. Then we're going to hit sun in Capricorn, four of discs, power. Then sun in Aries, three of wands, virtue. And finally, sun in Gemini, ten of swords, ruin. It's interesting that the sun appears twice in the earth cards, in the discs or pentacles cards. I guess it just works out that way cyclically. But I like to think of it as the sun sort of illuminating our actual material life here on earth. And those are really prudence, pleasure, power, virtue are all really positive, And then you have ruin. <laughs> but these are sides of kingship, you know, solar kingship in a way. Yeah. You know, Which diff- makes sense. The sun is the the center of all the other planetary influences. These seem to be like qualities you find in good rulership and wise kings, except for Ruin, where we have the tyranny of the forceful ruler. The sun itself has many qualities, I guess, that we think of as not just having to do with rulership, but also harmony, yeah. beauty, yeah. of course. To ferret. Yeah, the idea that there's a rightness to mm-hmm. the balance between as above and so below that is hedonic, that gives us pleasure, as we see in the Six of Cups. And that to live right, as in the virtue card in Three of Wands, makes everything else go smoothly. The time of year, as we mentioned, is... So this is zero 
to nine degrees of Virgo is August 21st-ish to August 30th-ish. And it's a really beautiful time of year, but I always feel like... I've always sad. A little sad. Me yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the shadows are getting longer. Yeah. You know? the, those glorious summer days that seem to go on and on and on and the sun doesn't set till like nine o'clock at night and suddenly you notice the days are getting shorter and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. There's something <laughs> about in, that time know. of year and like yeah. the heaviness of the foliage in the trees, you know, it's like it's at its full growth, but it can't go on much longer. You know, this is when the trees limbs are bowed down and they're almost like, I can't take it, get the fruit off me kind of a thing. And there's always been someone in my family who has to go back to school (laughs) really soon. So that time of the year has a feeling... Get back to work, right? Yeah, (laughs) it has a feeling of beauty, but also obligation. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's pleasurable, but you can never just sort of forget what you have to do. It's not vacation time Yeah, you have to stop being the grasshopper and start being the ant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No matter how beautiful the day is, you're still going to have to face that. It's a very, you know, face your own mortality kind of sign. Yeah. It does feel like endings. And we'll get to that even more, I think, in the 10, because that's right when the balance of the days shifts. And there's all kinds of themes of death. (laughs) that come up in that, which is kind of cool. So we're starting to head in there. Uh, I have a quote here about the subtle virtues of this Deccan, modesty, patience, and diligence. And I have no idea where I got that from. It's probably either Austin or... Well, it fits. uh, Yeah. And I think it particularly fits this card. After all of those striving cards of Leo, the five, six, and seven of wands, which are very much about the shining light of the individual. Here it's like, forget about me. (laughs) You know, here's the thing I'm working on. (laughs) Yeah. The major cards associated with this are the sun as the sun and the hermit as Virgo. That's really interesting to me because if you look at pretty much any rendition of those two cards, there's going to be a lantern that the Hermit's carrying and he's got the sun inside it or something representing the sun. Yeah, there's a close connection between those cards. Yeah, and it's almost like, okay, the light is getting shorter, but I'm going to capture it in this vessel so I can take it safely through the underworld or through the night. Yeah, I, I think I've seen the hermit described as the concealed light. So the concealed light, I think, may also be if I'm not mistaken, one of the names for Keter, and which makes sense, Hermit, whose letter is Yod, yeah. the Yod, the tip of the Yod saying that mm-hmm. it resides in Keter. That's really interesting. And also the idea that, you know, the sun is associated with Resh, the head, you know, and that connection to Keter, the crown, which yep. sits on the head. You know, this the secret seed is that um, the light of reason that illuminates the mind. So there's that connection between the two and the hermit is sort of the caretaker of that. I'm going to just look for a second to see that epithet of Gandalf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um, we just looked up the great scene from, is it the second or the first 
I should in know the this. Lord I of just the Rings reading trilogy. Them, but I always confused. <laughs> I it's, think it's near it's the beginning. The sec- it's near the beginning. Yeah. So it's early in the six. Yeah, chapters. they're going <laughs> through the mines of Moria, which was a bad idea, and. Gandalf is leading them through those mines and and they encounter the Balrog who is like an ancient primordial uh, right. fire spirit. As was Gandalf himself. The, actually, yes. the Balrog and Gandalf are both of the race of Maya. So yeah. they're related, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're related. And so they have that showdown where Gandalf stands behind the fleeing fellowship so they can escape out of the mines and he confronts the Balrog and he says... I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. So if you've ever felt the hermit was a Gandalf figure. I have. Matter of fact, every time I, I, I want to draw a hermit card and I need a model, I go looking at pictures of Gandalf. Oh, yeah, there he is. Exactly, exactly. He is the keeper of the secret fire. And wasn't it the case, let's see, that... You know, there there was sort of an elemental assignment of the Maiar, I think they were called, the those semi-divine beings who came down to help. And Gandalf was the keeper of sort of the fire aspect. He was a known for his fireworks. Yeah. He had a ring, I think, that was the one that represented fire, which I forget what it was called. But anyway, so so yeah, Gandalf's a hermit, and he carries a big staff or a <laughs> wand. A big staff, often carrying a wand, a, a lantern as yep, well, because yep. he goes down into dark places. And yeah, keeper of the secret fire. So you heard it here, and I think that's in some ways and why he, and he's dressed in gray, which is one of the colors of Virgo. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why he was such an archetypally powerful figure. You know, when he arose out of fiction to enter the consciousness of the uh, of the collective readership because he was there already. <laughs> yeah, the wise old Senex. He's been there forever. <laughs> He's been there forever. It's just we just needed to see him personified in a way that we could understand from a modern perspective. So there he is. There's Gandalf capturing the light and bringing it through safely through its passage through the underworld. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to sort of think about with that metaphor is like from the perspective of the sun like if you think of the sun in the rider weight card it's sort of like there's a garden wall behind it and i'm thinking of that as like the sun's experience of being encased in a lantern and safely brought from place to place mm-hmm. you know the idea that it's enclosed it's kind of a garden you know and it benefits from the toil and industry of other people Kabbalistically, we're talking about the Sephira Hod. Uh, we're talking about Hod in Asiya. Asiya is really interesting. I think we've talked about this before, probably in the Ace of Swords, like super Kala ultra Kabbalistic <laughs> uh, episode, where the were, the words Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya are all forms of making in one mm-hmm. one form or another. So, like Bria is the thing created. I think it translates to, you know, you can think of it that way. Yetzira is the thing formed and Asiya is the thing made. So, um, and by that, it's sort of like Bria is like creating something from nothing. Whereas Yetzira is forming it something from something, you know, it's already there and you sort of form it into something. And then Asiya is more like finishing the action. So achieving closure. So that's what's happening in this world and in this Deccan. 
It's interesting yeah. that um, Asiya is the thing made, and Hode is considered sometimes a maker. Right, because Hode is sometimes translated as majesty or splendor, but it's also translated, I think, as freshness or newness. So, you know, that ties into the idea of making this quality of developing something that's not been there before. And its association with Mercury, you know, as a, yeah. as a craftsman and a, and a magician who, right, make, a manifestor. Who, who makes forms. Yeah, that's really good. There's definitely that application of intellect to the material world, is I think the way people like to put it, because we think of mm -hmm. Hode as intellect. What can you do with your mind to create an impression on the material world? The symbols of Hode, one of them is, we'll see in actually in the Rider Weight card, the apron, and the other one says names and versicles. And uh, so I think names That's as in mercurial. like words of power and versicles, although it sounds like frozen poetry, it's <laughs> it's that call and response thing, you know, like where the preacher calls out something and the congregation answers or cool. repeats it. Makes all kinds of sense. That kind of idea of the congregation and the calling out and the response back and forth, there is something in these cards of Virgo about the relationship between you know, solitude and the community, right? Because there's always, even if you're working in solitude, you're doing it for the benefit of in, everybody. In, in service. In service, yeah. that's right. So you're never alone because it's about you. You're alone because you can better do the work that serves. Right. Especially in this card, it kind of reminds me, I mean, this is, a, is it a motto of the police force, which seems very <laughs> martial, but aren't they supposed to serve and protect? Yes, that's and it. And that makes yeah. me think of a very Virgoan thing to serve and to protect, especially in this card. The virtue and vice of Hode. I have honesty versus dishonesty or truth and falsehood. So truth yes, and fa falsehood, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. So honesty versus dishonesty or truth versus falsehood. Truthfulness and yes, falsehood. truthfulness versus falsehood. Yeah, because the hermit's job is to go seeking after the truth, no matter how hard it is to find. Yeah. And it speaks to that skill of Virgo discernment, right? To find the thing that is most hard to see and overlooked by everybody else. <laughs> it's the little things. It's the little things. It's always the little things. And then I have something written down here that the illusion of Hood is order, which just kind of makes sense. So I guess there's that mistaking the categorization and the filing system for the truth itself. Oh, and that's funny that you said uh, to serve and protect because the Archangel of Hood is Michael, who uh, is the yep. defender, right? Yep. So... Like he is the archangel of the police and the soldier. And in fact, I got, I got Noah, my son, who is a fencer, a little archangel Michael tiny figurine to stick in his bag because I figure that's the closest thing. If you're a fencer, you know, you're basically yeah, a soldier. Yeah. <laughs> but he is a very, very almost martial seeming spirit. That sort of mission is to protect specifically, I think, the patriarchs and, and Israel. Um, but he is one of those angels with swords. And then <laughs> the archdemon of Hod is named Adramalech. You know, this is one of those things where you're Googling and you can barely find anything. But one reference I found to Adramalech 
is that he was the supervisor of Satan's wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like, what even? (laughs) What what, what a fun job that must be. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Lots of flame retardant fabrics, I guess. But, you know, some of these archdemons, you run across them and they're like got a massive body of lore attached to them. And who the hell is a Dramalek? But sounds like he had a fun job. Yes, the red again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, the Deccan Associations, we have Agrippa, the figure of a good maid and a man casting seeds. That's pretty obvious all right uh these are really especially this deck i mean all virgo cards are sort of implicitly agricultural but this deck in in particular Mm -hmm. more than any other and that's meant to signify getting of wealth ordering of diet plowing sowing and peopling peopling (laughs) does that mean what i think it does i think it means what you think it does (laughs) get to it now plowing oh yeah (laughs) the decan image from the picatrix is really interesting it's a young girl covered with an old woolen cloth and in her hand is a pomegranate so like literally every image in there is something that has to do with this so there's the virgin yep and then there's the old woolen cloth. So sometimes it's translated as rags. And I was like, they're obviously looking at me because I dress in rags all the time. But, you know, this idea of like encasement, enclosure, the husk, the shell, the thing that is uh, the body is only a covering for the soul kind of a thing. And then the pomegranate, of course, is like, you know, Persephone, very yeah. much re- brings to mind that myth of. As well as the idea of fertility. Yeah. And it's the pomegranate. Feminine fertility in particular. There's that sort of connection in the pomegranate between sex and death. Because in that story, Mm -hmm. she goes into the underworld to meet her bridegroom. She eats the pomegranate, which is like having sex, basically. And that's what causes her to have to stay in the underworld, in the world of the dead. So That's why I never eat at funerals. (laughs) Really? Really. Interesting. You know how there's always food? There's always food, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. There's a book I just got by Josh Cutchins on the food taboo. So like, you know, you go to fairy land, you don't eat the food kind of a thing. You see a space alien, don't eat their food. That kind of thing. Don't eat Sasquatch's food. It's called a Trojan feast. And it's really interesting. So yeah, so there's that. And that's supposed to indicate, uh, again, sowing and plowing. God, English is so weird. They should be pronounced the same. Sowing and plowing or sowing and plowing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the germination of plants, gathering grapes and good living. Mm. So so that almost sounds like the next card rather than this it one. It does. It does. But grapes in general, that's the right time of year in the Northern Hemisphere for, mm-hmm. for, for this. And it reminds me also not only of the next card, but the king or knight of pentacles as well. The, the pleasure of oh, the food. grape <laughs> as well as, you know, the pleasures it gives you and the, on the death of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something in that king or knight of pentacles or discs that has to do with, you know, not just the enjoying the harvest, but the managing of it. You know, there's a, there's a monetary aspect to it as well. Yeah. 
someone who's not only a bon vivant, but somebody who's probably a hedge fund manager too. <laughs> Historical slash cardomantic. The eight of diamonds is said to have to do with control of finances, material goods, as well as I saw one reference to it as like the material guardian of the goods of the dead. So there again is that sort of connection to mm -hmm. passing between generations, dealing with legacies, uh, dealing with death. Many traditions have ascribed to the Eight of Diamonds fluctuations in money. That's interesting because the of the um, geomantic figure populace, which is associated with this card and fluctuations, populace being the um, figure of the moon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The um, sort of, I think one of the words that's associated with populace is um, dissemination or dispersal, something like that. Yeah. And the as idea well that as peopling. Yeah, peopling. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea that like, in when you finish any product, or when you, you know, have any lump sum of money, it sort of Virgo gathers it in, but then it distributes it back out to many more people than originally were responsible for it in the first place. I've uh, heard that the eight of diamonds can also have to do with people who wear glasses <laughs> and eyes generally. I don't know. Maybe because of like, <clears throat> you know, diamonds, 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 diamonds in pairs. Oh, look yeah, a little maybe. Bit like yeah. <laughs> and then Ateya, it's interesting. He associated it with a dark haired girl, which, you know, again, virgin kind of a thing. Passive. Well, yes. You know, Virgo is a receptive sign. And then Grande Nuit, which means the big night, which is a little strange. Sounds like the universe. Yeah. The great one of the night of time. Doesn't it? And also the idea that it's sort of like associated with that sunset hour Virgo is. But it's a little bit odd. I'm not sure what he had in mind. The reversal is uh, siphoning, as in like siphoning off the goods, the money or the, you know, whatever it is, avarice and usury. So that orientation towards... Mercury as the thief. Mercury as the thief, exactly. It's sort of like I'm in charge of all the, the monies and also I can, you know, I can be a grifter too yep. because I'm in the position to do that opportunistically. All right. So let's go on to Rider Waite Smith, the Eight of Discs, one of the calmer looking cards in the sequence of minor arcana. Interestingly enough, the sort of general idea here, somebody just working on some pentacles, that's a sola busca thing from the six of discs or pentacles. They have a very, not graphically similar image, the like he's facing a different way and stuff, but that's what he's doing. He's making discs. So this is something that Pamela Coleman Smith did a lot. She would like take the general idea like she did with the Ten of Swords and turned it into the Ten of Wands, um, took the idea and then represented it in her own and I would say very effective and powerful way. We also talked in the Three of Pentacles about the uh, sort of apprentice artisan relationship mm -hmm. between Works. those two yeah. cards. Yeah. And you could see it either way that this is the apprentice who actually gets to go work on a commission in the three, or you could say that the three is where he's learning his job and here is where he's perfecting it. One thing that's kind of really interesting to consider, especially since you mentioned Kabbalistic weapon of the apron, mm -hmm. I think. So he's got that. He's, he's wearing the apron. I think the only 
card I can think of where somebody's wearing protective, you know, apron mm-hmm. type thing like that. And this is interesting because it's a super Masonic card in that way. Yeah. So n- not only does it show the apprentice wearing the apron, but he's working with the hammer and chisel and all of these things have Masonic particular meanings. Although the apron of the Freemason is famously lambskin, so it's usually white, pure white. But Unless the- he's a black sheep. <laughs> I guess so. But there, there's definitely something about that service to the craft and service to the community that is represented by the apron, I think. Just symbolically, it seems to have the meaning of both work and of protection at the same time. Yeah. And it's said that the, the apron conceals the splendor or glory of the magician. So again, that speaks to that mm-hmm. concealed light, that um, secret fire secret fire aspect. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like to think of his sort of downward gaze like that as similar to the hermit's downward gaze. It's I think of that lantern as like a, a, a shop light or a task light or a look-so lamp, you know, yeah. where you sort of focus it in on the thing you're working on so you can really, really see it. And his gaze is downward in the same way that the hermit's gaze is downward because he's focusing so hard on what he's doing. So he's wielding that hammer and chisel on that pentacle there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of speaks to me of that idea of attention to detail, detail in small things, but also the meaning of the hammer and chisel masonically that kind of jumped out was that the hammer is the active, persistent uh, powers of the intellect that the adept uses in in his search for truth. And again, there's that truth-falsehood thing, discernment, intellect, hode. And then the the uh, chisel, again, it said it's it was called a, a array of the intellect. And then when I was looking up stuff on the hammer, I found something really interesting in the in the symbols book. So I guess in Lithuania, there's uh, some cult that worships a giant hammer. <laughs> And the the mythology around this giant hammer is that it the the sun was imprisoned in a tower by a king, and uh, this giant hammer was used to to bust apart the tower to release the sun from its imprisonment. But that kind of jumped out at me because of the idea of the sun in this card and the idea of the concealed light. Yeah, and that sort of reminds me a little bit of the Thor myth as well, with Mjolnir the hammer as you know the creator of lightning when he swings it around. So there's this. And the tower, the Hode Hode is uh, the path of the tower between Hode and Netzach. I hadn't even thought of that. And I was thinking about that theme of the tower sort of kind of showing up in these cards a little bit. You know, the idea, like if you look at the town in the background of this card. Yeah, but also you can think of that as Malkut. And you can sort of think of the guy as residing in Hode. And with Malkut sort of off in the distance yep. beyond yep. there, the the connection between him and Malkut is going to be the judgment or eon card. But the other connection going in the other way, you know, across to Netzach is going to be the tower card. So, yep. you know, there is sort of an implication maybe there. Yeah. And the tower card would be more associated with the, the three of discs, which we were talking about, the right. relationship between the, the, the apprentice and the master mason. I kind of think of this card as the apprentice card because of mm-hmm. the idea that the apprentice is applying this like humility and service and self-discipline and that 
all seems very Virgo and way more than Capricorn, which doesn't seem that it has the, the, the it's same definitely type getting of, paid. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I hadn't even thought about this before, but that's really cool about the hammer and the chisel, what he's doing, because... You know, if you read the Sefer Yetzirah, when they talk about the 32 paths in the very first line, they talk about God engraving those paths, right? And that's the action of the hammer and chisel. And the important thing about that, I don't remember exactly what the word is for engrave in Hebrew, but the important concept that's trying to come across is that you have to remove a little bit of material. Mm. So, you know, the divine suffuses everything. It's as big as it can be. And it has to remove a little bit of itself to make room for the creation. Mm -hmm. So to me, there's sort of a secret understanding of what you have to do to create, to remove yourself a little bit, to remove... To Just suspend like your individuality a Michelangelo and in the statue, you know? He, yeah. He said the, the statue was already in the stone. You're freeing He was it. just removing the extra stone around it. Right. With his chisel. <laughs> exactly. There's something about that, the dedication to the task in there, that sort of no stone left unturned gaze of the Virgo in there. And the other thing that's really interesting about the town in the background there, actually all three... Uh, cards of Virgo, eight, nine, and ten of discs or pentacles have little buildings in the background. So mm -hmm. Malkut is never far behind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can, you're always aware of the made environment in these final cards of earth. Now, this one's interesting because there's a path there. There's a little path. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Well, it sort of reminded me because of the apron, because of, of the path of the Freemasons. But then I did some reading up on paths in the secret language of tarot, which is Walden Ruth Amberstone's book. And they talk about paths as representing, iconically, representing self-refinement and improvement, that sort of urge to make something better of yourself, which mm -hmm. is implicit in pretty much any secret society or ceremonial organization. And it made me think also a little bit of the eightfold path mm -hmm. because of the eight, of course. Yep. But the the eight paths, I think it goes right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. And then the eighth one is right concentration, which seems to me very much yeah. the quality of this card. I would say that like personally as a Virgo, I think my Virgo superpower is concentration and i think that's really embodied by the focus and kind of discipline of this guy you know yep. <laughs> and his pentacle leaning on a brick too which again brings in that uh that three card with the with the um yeah. with the cathedral yeah and there are six six of the pentacles are kind of in that uh vertical column which mm -hmm. i guess could be a solar reference being six you know, six hanging vertically and the rest um, it could horizontally. Be. It could be. Wade says something about an artist in stone at his work, which he exhibits in the form of trophies, which is not a very Virgo thing to do. <laughs> you know, trophies? Trophies, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Wade thought so, but uh, but I think he's just putting them there because he's done with them. But there is that sort of like quality of pride in the work. Mm. You know, the work speaks for itself, which is also very much the point of view of the artisan. Yeah, um, that little city when we were talking about it, one of the things that I meant to research more than I did was the idea of Hermopolis, the city of eight. 
which is really cool because, of course, eight is the number of Hermes. Yep. But and Hermopolis is the uh, city of Hermes. And that was a city in ancient Egypt, which was the center of the cult of Thoth. It was called the City of Eight because... Uh, or Eight Town. Eight Town. I love that. <laughs> Octopolis. <laughs> Hermopolis. It was called Eight Town in Egyptian, I guess, because the eight primordial deities were worshipped there. Uh, they were four pairs, male and female. Right, which again seems very hermaphroditic for Hermes. Right. Just another wormhole. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if we had the time, yeah, we'd be there. All right, shall we have a look at Thoth? Sure. The secret seed has sprouted. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I was thinking about this. I looked through the discards yesterday. It's the only discard that's like organic, you know, something living. Yep. All the others are like coins or something clearly man-made or metal. Whenever I see this card, I always think of the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. Because it just yeah. looks like this giant stalk sprouting up to heaven. And isn't that where um, where he gets the goose that lays the golden eggs? <laughs> I think so. So that's kind of solar. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are interesting leaves. They look kind of like dandelion leaves or something. Although the tree trunk itself reminds me a bit of a grapevine, actually. Yep. It does kind of. Or even a tomato plant. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that she made the choice to represent this one as a tree because of the agricultural connections of yep. Virgo. And also, what's a tree other than something whose roots like stretch down into the darkness and whose, you know, leaves stretch upward to the light? Yeah, you can see the 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 roots, we don't actually see the roots cuz it's going down, down, down into the earth. Mhm. I like also the way she portrayed the leaves. Each leaf kind of shades the flower. So the sun is not only the force that grows things, but then there's that you need also to protect from the burning powers of the sun. So yeah. it's both the sun is both the force that's pulling it upward, but also the plant is shading its fruit and protecting it. Yeah, again, that sort of young girl covered with a woolen cloth thing. Yeah. You know, there's there's lots of themes of encasement and protection in 8, 9, and 10 of Discs, Virgo cards generally. I also like it because it makes me think of maybe the tree of knowledge, you know, because mm -hmm. Mercury being a god of knowledge, the suns themselves in there, they are interesting. They've got these sort of whirling disc partitioned into five structure yeah it was, seems venusian to me yeah five i mean well you could look at five as the um you could look at five as the maiden connection because isn't that the number of the letter hey five the star yeah. which is a maiden i don't know i'm reaching here well sure and also the apple of eve you know there's something about it that feels yeah i thought so i just had to go look so n notice how the um each of the eight flowers has both five petals and then five like stamens in the center uh-huh so i was thinking well five and five that's 10 malkut mm -hmm. but then if there's eight of them that's 80 and that's the tower oh yeah the letter pay so oh, that's yeah, what i was that's just interesting yeah you know, i was like yeah okay huh. it is a tower of a beanstalk there yeah i definitely feel like there's something about that to write, waiting, having the patience to wait for things to ripen mm -hmm. in there. There's, you know, with a little sun in each of these. Well, that makes sense because, you know, what Crowley says about the card is it's the strength in doing nothing at all. Yeah. You know, you're waiting for something to ripen or to build interest. Right, right. Sometimes like, so the best thing you can do if you're investing is to 
you know, do, do it and then nothing. Right. <laughs> Just wait. Time itself is money. I think that's uh, something that might be behind this card. Time is money. That idea. Of course, because um, he said of the uh, sun in Virgo having to do with the, the virgin earth awaiting the phallic plow. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> Peopling. Peopling. <laughs> Go forth and people. Well, he talks about uh, he talks about the geomantic figure populace, which we touched on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's right from the Golden Dawn description. So oh, yeah. the Golden Dawn description basically says that the roses, there'll be eight of them arranged in the figure populace. And it's the interesting thing was it said four, there will be four white roses with no rosebuds, but only leaves. And then on four of the upper ones, there'll be buds too. Yeah. So I guess that's speaking about, you know, the the potential for growth. Yeah. And that actually makes more sense to me um, now that I think about it, because the rose, of course, is a five-petaled, five-structured blossom, just like these much more abstract space blossoms. (laughs) (laughs) So the divinatory meaning of populace I've seen it represented as the interest of the common people, like the yeah, common good. The people is what it means, yeah. And uh, I think John Michael Greer described it as the stability of inertia, which, again, that yep. idea that things, some things do better when you leave them alone. Yeah, if a seed's trying to sprout, you don't want to go digging it up to look at it. It's at a tender stage. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about the connection of populace with the moon, the waxing and waning, the fluctuations, but also the hermit has his own connection to the moon, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. nine and 18. Yep. Uh, kind of a secret connection. And Virgo and Pisces axis. The exactly. Moon, uh, being the Pisces card. And- yeah, there's definitely something about, you know, the sun and moon is opposite, equal bodies, and also uh, the sun and moon as represented in that sort of six house sunrise sunset thing going on here. When I think of the uh, Virgo Pisces axis too, I always think of the loaves and fishes myth. Uh, yeah, right. right, right Multiplying right. your, your grain <laughs> and your fish. <laughs> That's it. And then he also mentions an eaching hexagram, which mm-hmm. he does for all of the solar cards. It's a bit weird because he never did it for any of the others, but he mentions Dun. It's composed of the heaven trigram over the mountain trigram. I wrote that wrong. The bottom line should be solid, I think. I guess the word they keyword they often use to describe it is retiring or retreating. And he said that that could be thought of as withdrawing of energy into the fallow earth. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. And he compares that to populace as the moon retiring from manifestation to the conjunction with the sun. So, And didn't he call that uh, hexagram big air? Big air, Which kind yeah. of reminded me of Atea's big night. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how he came up with Big Air. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I couldn't quite make that connection. And there's something about the idea that when you are at the end of the growing season, we see things withering and dying. But what's also going on is that all of the virtue and all of the strength that it's collected is going getting sent down into the roots. So that to me is... Or into the fruits. Or into the fruits, yeah. right. Right. And the, and the, and the, the plant seeds. is essentially and, yep. regrouping. Yep. It's not done, at least if it's a perennial. Mm. And one of the things I read in the Huang uh, commentary on 
Eching hexagram 33 is the sage confronts stillness and retreats. So again, that sort of conserving strength through regrouping, like you, you, you recognize that stillness to me is like the turn of the seasons, the moment where there's a pause and you pull back because you cannot progress further and make anything good out of that. He said that Populus is an easygoing figure, which is at oh, yeah. the same time stable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did he say? He was affable on the surface, but nobody's fool. Yeah. He <laughs> says in Queen Victoria's time, he, uh, a man who is uh, something in the city, like a big, big wig, big wig, rolling up to town with Albert the Good, advertised by his watch chain and frock coat. So Albert, of course, was Victoria's husband, and he was known as Albert the Good. So, you know, a, a solid gentleman, someone who's clearly decent. Prosperous. On the surface, he's very affable, but he is nobody's fool. So this is that sort of like shrewdness of Mercury hidden beneath the kind of King of Pentacles exterior. People who are very good with money though they seem to just enjoy life on the surface. The banker with his nine to five. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And if you look at the Thoth card between the two majors, the sun and the hermit, this one's unlike the seven of discs, which we, I think, which we did last time. This one has a much more clear blend of the coloration from mm. those two. The warm solar light and then the uh, the greens, grays, and plums from Virgo. And the same swirling quality that uh, that the and sun you has. even see the um the main color of the card that yellowish brown flecked white maybe mm-hmm. a little not really but maybe a little in the bottom of the stock does look a little yellowish oh, brown yeah. and, and and white maybe the so. strongest part of the stock there yeah and that whole sort of like twining thing that it does sort of you can see that it spirals the trunk spirals it doesn't just go straight up mm. and that reminds me a little bit of the motion of the, the serpent sun, yeah yeah that's a solar spiral force that you see in the sun card. Yeah, very much so. You know, well, of course, Hermes is the sun's little buddy. But there's <laughs> there's so much of that twining motion associated with Hermes as well because yep. of the caduceus and the... Yeah. Um, yeah, the the, at the top of the caduceus is the sun disc, the winged right. sun. So there's, yeah, there's that relationship there. We'll probably talk about it more in the 10, but that caduceus is specifically has to do with his role as a traveler to the underworld more than anything above ground it's it's yeah. like his pass yeah. <laughs> you know it's his his, his uh universal metric card <laughs> him carrying the it's sun his, it's his all access <laughs> exactly there is a i think you said sumerian and i think that's right there's a god called ningish zida mm-hmm. who is known as the lord of the good tree he was a precursor to hermes actually he was sort of in charge of vegetation and the underworld so when you talk about that cycle of the energy going into the fruit and down into the earth and then retreating and regrouping for the next season, he was the God who was in charge of that. And he was with the snakes and the staff and everything. It was his uh, archetype that gave us the caduceus of Mm. Hermes. That kind of reminds me of when, remember when you were talking about removing Mm -hmm. God, removing something a little bit out to to make space. yeah, make space for the creation. That reminds me of another form of Mercury God Ganesh, the remover of obstacles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And and also Ganesh is one of those sort of gods that comes close and then retreats, you know, in the same way. Mm-hmm. You you know Lon's special yeah, Ganesha yeah, thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so Lon Milo Duquette has this wonderful Ganesha rite that he does where he visualizes Ganesha far, far off in space and then spiraling inward and he sings Pop goes, Pop the, goes weasel. the weasel. Ganesha, 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 Ganesha. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. Once you get that in your head, it doesn't want to leave yeah, either. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. On yeah, it's to, a pretty simple card. Yeah. Visually speaking. Visually. You know, both of the Rider Waite and the Thoth cards, and yours too, you know, have that sort of calming quality about them. They're very meditative, yeah. I find. Yep. Yeah. Stable. You know, that's to me one of the big differences between the Gemini approach to the world and the, you know, and the Virgo approach to the world. We just like, you know, we like to have some silence as well as the speech. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tell us about the Tabula Mundi eight of discs. So, um, I love this. I have this hanging in my office because you gave it to me. I love it. We've got the Hermit's Lantern um, with the sun inside, so the, the two majors combine. If you look inside the lantern, at first glance, it looks like the six-pointed star, which would be, you know, the sun and Tiferet. But if you look closer, it's actually the 12-pointed star directly from the sun card. Oh, yeah, because there's the, it's, it's the one's red in one. red and one's just like yeah. on the sun card. There's a red one and a white one. And mm-hmm. it, so it's, They're harder intertwined. To, it's harder to see the white one because of the brightness of the light, but it's there. And then it's got the flame in the center for Yod, the flame of Yod for the hermit. And uh, the eight eggs in a nest. So those eggs are the that yellowish brown flecked white color, which is yes. totally appropriate for the color of an egg. So that's the color of this card. <laughs> And I read somewhere that that color Crowley referred to as activity on many levels. Pretty interesting for for Virgo. Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. uh, a mystery of Mercury. I love the way you focused on the lantern in particular, because, you know, if there's any one thing that symbol I would take from that card, it probably would be the lantern. You know, even though in older Marseille versions, sometimes you see it as an hourglass, right? Yep. So, which is interesting because it's like, Sun versus Saturn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yep. They are enemies. Keeper of the light. Yeah. That's a very particular kind of lantern, isn't it? I don't know what you call it. I don't Globe know. Globe lantern? It's an outdoor lantern, for, yeah. obviously, because it's uh, it's got that protective cage around it. I love how the protective cage kind of looks like the solar cross. Yeah. Yep. For yeah. Malkut. Um, it's both putting light on those eggs and warming them. The um, You know, you've had chickens. I've had chickens. You yeah. know, that the, the eggs take time, and if you're going to hatch them, they need to be kept warm and protected. Exactly. You get a really hot light bulb and just yep. suspend it over them. Yeah. Yep. Even when they're chicks, too, they still need that. Yeah. So, the you know, one of the messages of this card is, you know, sitting on things, like, <laughs> literally, and, and yeah. that they'll ripen in due time. Let and, your and nest their, egg ripen. Yep, yeah. In, the, in, in their own uh, good time and guarding one's resources. And like Crowley said, the strength in doing nothing at all but waiting. And then there's also that idea of the lantern festival in India called Diwali, which mm-hmm. is the lantern festival and the lantern being a symbol of both light and life which seems really appropriate for this card. Yeah. And it was associated with uh, four gods, Lakshmi for wealth, Ganesha for ethics, Saraswati for learning, and Kubera for the treasury. Neat. All which seem really appropriate for, for the meanings of um, this card. Yeah. Can you talk about the um, 
crown in the center of the lantern. Oh yeah, that's more Beneath of the, the yod. Flame. It's more mm-hmm. of the yod symbolism where the, the you know the the tip of the yod resides in Keter. So and mm-hmm. inside lanterns there actually is a little thing that looks like that. Right. That's so <laughs> um, cool. That supports the uh, wick or the whatever wick, it yeah, is. Yeah. So yeah. the fuel can be drawn up and. Um, that's symbolically really interesting, isn't it? It is. It's funny too. The eggs. I, I actually have eggs in the Rosetta card as well. The Rosetta card looks very much like the Thoth card in that it's got this this big twisty stock plant with the. But instead of the eight flowers, it has eight nests, and each one has an egg in it. And then standing at the top is an owl shading <laughs> the eggs with its with its wings. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, Virgo isn't just agriculture, but also animal husbandry as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the lantern, if you can imagine the the front staff of that cage is extended to the back, that does give you eight partitions as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 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 So it does. So it does. What jumps out first is that red six-pointed star. So Mm -hmm. that's the sun and Tiferet. Right. So it's got the main color and the eggs, the yellowish-brown flecked speckled white, and then the uh, the colors of Virgo, which are yellowish-green, slate-gray, green-gray, and plum. And then the sun colors, which are all the oranges and golden yellows and rich amber and amber rayed red. Yeah, it makes a really nice combination. Yeah, I love the, the uh, contrast between their opposites on the wheel there, the yellows and the purples. Yeah. And the, the greens and reds. What about, can you say something a little bit about the rings of light emanating from it on either side? I don't know what to say about it other than I just like the way it looks. It's a cool visual effect. Yeah, I, I like yeah. the way when you have light shining through a round glass like that, sometimes mm-hmm. it sets off these orbs, and that's what those are. That, yeah, that's know, that just orb, cool. orb effect. You yeah. actually see it on the hermit if you look. See how it's oh, reflecting yeah. the, that orb onto his robe? That's right. Lantern so this is this is the right same hand. lantern from mm-hmm. the hermit. Yeah, and an egg is a secret seed. Basically. Yeah, it's got like... You never know whether it's fertilized or not. And it's kind of, of like a solar symbol in itself. It's got the yellow yolk inside, and but it's enclosed. It's like, it is like that concealed fire in a way. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, there's a reason the cosmic egg is a symbol of the universe. I was just listening to Austin and Gordon's talk about, you know, the sky weather for the next six months. And Austin was talking about the heliopause, the sort of that moment out beyond the planets where the sun's rays, rather than traveling at millions of miles an hour, start slowing down as they meet the interstellar space. So it really is as if we're enclosed in a bubble, in a shell of, of sorts. That's the kind of egg symbology that for whatever, whatever reason we've always picked up on. Isn't there a riddle in Lord of the Rings when Bilbo... Yes. Uh, it's Golden in the Hobbit, treasure, actually. treasure yeah. kept inside. Yeah, uh, and the answer is an egg. Yes. Yep. Eggses. <laughs> yes. Eggses. Yeah. yeah. My precious. I get this card fairly often. How about you? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Not as Actually, not as often as you'd guess, given that it's my natal Deccan. Uh, I associate it mundanely with making things in sets of eights. So, like, I always make pancakes in sets of eights. I associate making dumplings with <laughs> with this card. Anything that's sort of like a repetitive task that you kind of get lost in the making little focus. pentacles, making little <laughs> pentacles exactly. But I also associate it with words because of the mercurial connection, and you know, just 
me being as a person who expresses myself mercurially, I often get it on days when there's just a lot of words, you know, pouring out. And that reminds me of your sort of bringing in the words of power and mm, the, the names and versicles. <laughs> yeah, names and versicles. And, you know, like the last time I got it, uh, it was a Thursday in October and I was at the shop and I did five readings in a row. And then I came home, dropped my bags on the floor, went up and talked to Miguel Connor for two hours from the Eon Bain interview. And it was just like torrents of words just like pouring out in a not very Virgoid fashion. But, but they're there, you know, it's just that it takes special circumstances like this for them to come out. Oh, yeah. So here's one that's kind of nice. You know how I write these spells for mm -hmm. my daily cards? The very first one I did, and I've pretty much kept it up daily since then, was on March 12th, 2016. And I had gone to New York with Noah because I wanted to see there was a tarot exhibit at the Cloisters. Remember that? Yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> yeah. And so... I had just dropped him off and I went walking through the cloisters and I was thinking about my eight of discs card and I decided to write a haiku about it. And that was the first time I ever did that. So to me, that's a, you know, kind of like, what can I do mercurially with this thing that I've received? Mm -hmm. How can I process it into something that I can work with? You know, yeah, spells are very mercurial because they're both magic and words. Yeah, and they're solar too in the sense that like they force you to put the thing into action. Right? Yeah. They take the above and they force you to reflect it into the below and make something of it. So that was the first time. I think I got, I'm pretty sure I got this card and I think I got the moon and it was like a full moon or something like that. So Virgo Pisces. But I don't get it all that much. And I, I get I probably get my moon card, uh, the seven of swords a lot more because hmm. I am a night chart. That kind of makes sense. So when you get it, is it just sort of like that sort of task-focused thing for you? Yeah, I mean, it depends. But sometimes it's just about, you know, guarding your resources or biding your time or knowing that things will happen in good time. You yeah. Know? Um, time is a resource. Time yeah. is an ingredient. Then sometimes it is about building and making industry, you know, skills. Yeah. Diligence. I, you diligence, know? for sure. Yeah. I like this card because... It allows you to feel like you don't have to conquer the world. You know, you can yeah. just do your thing. Yeah. And that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yep. I find that relaxing. Like, I didn't have this card this time, but this week I had a shit ton of sewing to do because the Etsy orders have been coming in like mad. And we were also having renovation going on at the same time. So my office is literally right above the room that's being worked on and they were demolishing it. So, you know, hammers and dust and you know, and uh, chisels, power tools and chisels. <laughs> and, and Randy happened to be homesick that day. And he's like, how can you work in here with that going on? I'm like, it's sewing. I can just look at the sewing. And if it were writing, that would be a problem. But like, just to focus on the task is no problem at all. Mm -hmm. It's just right there in front of you. As long as it's like a very defined, detailed thing. Mechanical Everything task. else yep. just fades away. Yep. And that's, that's the world of Virgo. The powers of concentration. Yeah. So the floor is shaking underneath me. Who cares? All right. So I guess we could try and sum it up. Oh, <laughs> yes. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. So we talked about this as the, the Eight of Pentacles or Discs as the Lord of Prudence. And we started talking about what Virgo does in that sort of general story of this, the return to the divine or the journey of the maiden, the Virgo maiden, where if Capricorn and Taurus sort of take us from the material world to the bridge 
between worlds. Uh, Virgo leaves the world behind. Virgo, the hermit, travels upward or downward into the next realm. We talked about all the all the various maidens, the Arabic innocent maiden, the Chinese frigid maiden, <laughs> the idea of uh, the virgin as being whole unto herself and free to give her sexual love to anyone of her choosing. We talked about the Ceres and Demeter myth, the mm-hmm. Persephone myth, Isis, Astraea, Ishtar, Mary, and uh, the the maiden, the Greek maiden, Erigene, who hanged herself from distress at the ways <laughs> of the human race. <laughs> Harvest mothers, ladies of justice, youthful virgins, and I guess suicidal idealists. (laughs) I can't take it. You people will be the death of me. (laughs) And I think, I'm not sure whether we talked about it, but in eight of pentacles or discs, we're finishing and refining the product. In nine of discs or pentacles, we we assess its value and its virtue in that way. And then in the 10 of Discs of Pentacles, we pass it on to the next generation. We consume it so that its nutrients can be extracted and passed on. More death. <laughs> oh, and speaking of death, we talked about Virgo generally as sort of like the death of the uh, ego and individuality as we pass into the darker season of the year. The sunrise, sunset qualities of the first and seventh house or Virgo as the end of the sixth house. Oh, and prudence as the mother of the virtues, temperance, justice, fortitude, etc. We talked about um, Spica, the ear of grain and the Milky Way being formed by the grains dropped from the goddess's hand. We talked about the processing of the grain, the long digestion from the grain to the loaf, to the waste the double-bodied form of the maiden and the bird. We talked about the apron and the Masonic apprentice um, and the apron that conceals the splendor and glory of the magician. The path of the mason and the path towards distant Malkut, the eightfold path of which the eighth one is right concentration. We talked about the uh, wielding of the hammer and the chisel both weapons of the intellect and uh, arriving at the truth, chiseling out the uh, creation from all the original divine matter. Yeah, engraving is removal of something to create something. We talked about the sun captured in the hermit's lamp and mm. brought down through its safely through its journey, but also used as a shop light <laughs> <laughs> to help you. Concentrate in your myopic way at the tiny little thing you're working on. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it, but one of the meanings of this card is, again, just like we saw in the Eight of Swords, it's attention to detail at the expense of the greater. Yeah, forest for the trees. Yeah, Yeah, yep, for sure. Or penny wise and pound foolish. That's true, too. Or the, the wiser way of dealing with money, which is to invest and then just... Do nothing. You leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait for Don't it to meddle. <laughs> wait for it to increase. We talked about the caduceus and the uh, sun discs at the top and the Mercury sun relationship. The idea of the fruiting tree as a tree of knowledge or uh, the agricultural metaphor, uh, this being the only organic uh, card in the disc series of thought. 
We talked about the virgin earth awaiting the phallic plow <laughs> and the uh, the verb peopling. <laughs> of course it is. The uh, ge- geomantic figure populace and the I Ching hexagram dun or retiring, withdrawing. We talked about the festival of Diwali and the lantern as light and life. We talked about the uh, Mercury as a maker of forms, the magician as a maker of forms. Oh, yes. And something we didn't mention, but which is also true of eights generally, is that that corresponds to the fifth day of creation where the animals and all their variety were created. Intelligence applied to material matters. Yes. And we talked about uh, Hermopolis, the city of eight or eight town. <laughs> eight town. Love that. <laughs> and we talked about Virgo and the sixth house of work, service and health. Ningish Zeta, the Lord of the Good Tree. Hermes as the psychopomp whose caduceus is his all-access pass to the underworld. (laughs) We talked about the Archangel Michael and his protective, serve and protect qualities. Yes, and the Archdemon Adramalech, the supervisor (laughs) of Satan's wardrobe. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. We talked about uh, the virtue of truthfulness versus uh, vice of falsehood. We talked about the riddle of the egg, the the sun inside, yeah, the secret seed, the concealed light. And we talked about Jack and the Beanstalk. We sure did. The goose that laid the golden egg. (laughs) Prudence. Oh, and also the, the cards of the sun, prudence, pleasure, power, virtue, and ruin. God, what didn't we talk about? We just went on and on, didn't we? Yeah. Mercury. <laughs> All right. I guess we probably better consider it done. Getting lost in the forest for the trees. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you for accompanying us in this beginning of our journey of ascent or descent through the cards of Virgo. And we will be back next time with the Lord of Gain, the nine of pentacles or discs. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarocart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. You can learn more about that at my website, www.tsusanchang.com. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. (laughs) 